hear it? All right. If you would join with me in prayer, please. Father, we come to you and we submit ourselves to you. We stand under your authority and your power. We acknowledge that you are head and rule over all authority and have all power, and that through the death and resurrection of your son, you have totally defeated Satan and all of his demons. And Father, we know that wherever the word is preached, there is demonic attack against it. And as we submit to your authority, we command you, Satan, and all your demonic forces to be bound to silence, to be rendered helpless, to be driven out of this place, driven out of our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our memories. You are not welcome here. You are a defeated foe. We've submitted to God. We command you to leave in the name of Jesus, and you must leave. And Father, we just ask that you would send uh, Michael and a legion of angels to be here to guard this place and to guard us as your word is preached. Lord, in a particular way, I pray for uh, a special anointing as I am not using any notes or doing anything from memory, but just uh, trying to yield to your spirit. I ask for your anointing to say your word only, and anything that shouldn't be said, don't let me remember, and the things you want to say, even if it's something that I haven't thought of, bring it to mind. Open our hearts and our ears to hear your word, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I'd first like to start, um, this, is, this is the third part of a three-part series, and most of you have been here for the two, but in case you haven't been here for the first two, the first one was, the message was to forgive yourself. I've been struggling with headaches, daily headaches, for like three and a half years, and have been praying about what that means. I know God works all things together for the good, and I trust that he's working this to the good, and he has already worked a lot of good in it. Uh, He's taught me to accept limitations that I didn't want to accept, um, but had to accept, He's taught me to, um, you know, eat better and be healthier in terms of my diet and exercise. He's brought me to some doctors that have identified some things like low thyroid and uh, low testosterone and uh, some other things that I've been uh, being treated for. Um, So there's been a full gambit of things that he's been teaching me. It's not just one thing. But... The thing that he's been teaching me emotionally and uh, spiritually is a three-part message. And the first part is for me to forgive myself. He told me this on three or four different occasions. It was an unmistakable word from God. I mean, I didn't hear it audibly, but it was so resonating within me that I knew absolutely that it was from God. And it happened on three different occasions, at precise occasions, the way, you know, God communicates us with us personally. And we know in our knower when he's talking to us. When he talks to us, he's very clear. Um, he, he doesn't talk that way often, maybe, uh, but when he talks, he's clear. And I heard clearly in my spirit that I needed to forgive myself. And I don't think that this is just... For me, I think this is for everyone. As Dennis often says, uh, he refers to the scripture, and I'll say to myself, my uh, message is your message, and your message is my message. My story is your story, and your story is my story. They're different. We may have different 
uh, exterminators or different ex- circumstances, rather, uh, and we need exterminators for some of these things. And one of them is self-hatred. And as a counselor for 23 years, I have seen that as probably the most common problem that people have is some form of self-hatred. They may not be aware of it. Uh, it may appear as a self-doubt or some kind of vague anxiety, free-floating anxiety that they don't realize what's going on. But when you get to the heart of it, it's very, very hard not to become resentful towards yourselves because we're all uh, raised in dysfunctional homes. It's just a matter of degree. And that's a psychological term. If you want a biblical term, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the third and fourth generation. Not one is righteous, not even one. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. So, you know, it comes down to us, and there's a psychological way that it's dispensed to us. And that is when we're very young, before the age of five, we listen to our parents, and they do the best that they can, but they are imperfect, and they're sinful themselves. And so when they raise us, they, they use a conditional love, you know, that a boy, that a boy, right? Uh, it's, it's positive and negative reinforcement, and we get the idea that if we behave well, that we're good. And if we don't behave well, we're bad. So we get a lot of messages that we're bad. I was told I was bad at six years old from a nun in front of my mother uh, who said she thought I was a good boy, but now that she got to know me, I was a bad boy. And uh, those sort of messages that come from early on reside in us. Our conscious mind is about an eighth of our mind, about the tip of an iceberg, and the seven-eighths of the mass of the iceberg that's below the water is our unconscious mind. So much of it is underneath uh, the surface, and we don't even know it. And if we don't tap into that, then we're not really going to be free in the way that we're seeking to be free. So it's no wonder that we don't experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control regularly. It really doesn't faze me anymore because I know that there's so many things inside. So our response, God's patient, and our response is just to allow him to bring these things up and to deal with them when they come up. So the first thing that came up was I needed to forgive myself, and I still need to forgive myself. This is a process. As a matter of fact, I've evolved the title of this is Forgive Until You're Free which implies that it's a process. And you have to get to the emotional core of your pain until your forgiveness is complete. And God, because he's merciful, will only raise up a little bit at a time because too much would be too much. So we have a little bit that comes up, and we're, we're responsible to forgive. And then we go to the next layer, and God will bring that up if we're listening, if we have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. He'll bring the next part up, and we forgive that, and we forgive that, and we forgive this person, we forgive that person. Just forgive until you're free. It's a way of life. Forgiving 70 times 7, as the Bible says, is teaching us to have a habit of forgiveness. It should be the posture with which we walk. Um, the second message was grieve uh, your losses. And it developed for me in terms of grieve until you're grateful. 
and I grieved my brother who died early when I was 24. Um, I grieved his death for three years, and I was even had a grieving experience last week before, or a couple of weeks ago before I preached on this, and I was looking over the uh, kitchen sink at the pond or marsh in the back of our yard, and just I got in touch with that grief, and a lot of different people came to mind and experiences, and I grieved, and all of a sudden, I noticed that I was grateful. I didn't do it. It was God that did it. And then what I was grateful about was not what I lost, obviously. I was grateful that I had it to lose, you know? It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. I love my brother so much. I spent such a good period of time with him, and I'm so grateful that I had that. Um, And uh, Roxanne uh, preached with me that day, and she told us that uh, her husband way of dealing with it, Tony, who's here, um, he would walk around the house and he would say, thank you that she was here. Thank you that we had her for 15 years or 15 years. Thank you that we had her for 15 years. And so you grieve until you get to that grateful point. Today, what I want to talk about is um, the ability to love the one you're with. Now, this is not easy. All right, because, well, first of all, we're with ourselves most of the time, right? <laughs> all of the time. And we're with God all of the time. And those are probably the two hardest people to forgive, not because God commits sin against us, but because we have wrong views of God because of inaccurate theology that we've learned in our respective dysfunctional backgrounds. And in our, disre- in our respective uh, sins of the fathers passed down to the third and fourth and generation background, there's wrong theology there. So we have an inaccurate concept of God. As a result of that, we hold God accountable for certain things that happen in our life, even if we call it his permissive will. None of us, I think, have uh, avoided this question, why did you let this happen to me? Even Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't just feel forsaken. God actually abandoned him because that's the consequence of our sin. And and Jesus, who's done everything that he wanted him to do, he said, why have you, my father that I've trusted in and loved and have held me up, why have you abandoned me? I've done everything you asked even the thing that you didn't, I didn't want to do. Why would you abandon me now at the worst moment when I need you the most? So if Jesus is going to question that, certainly we're going to question that. There's many times we don't feel like he's present. Doesn't mean that he isn't, but it sure it feels like he isn't. You know, in the seminary, we learned about meditation and contemplative prayer, and we do an hour of contemplative prayer every day, and report it to our spiritual director, and we'd have a prayer journal. And I can't tell you how many times I wrote in my prayer journal, another dry prayer. (laughs) Nothing. I didn't get nothing. I didn't have any sense of his presence. I didn't have any sense of his feeling. And what I was told and what I learned was that God 
uses consolation and desolation in contemplative prayer to make us love him instead of the, the gift. We want to love the giver and not the gift. If he always gave us uh, the gift, sorry, if I'm, you think I'm doing anything to cause this? Okay. Um, if, if we just, if God just gave us gifts, it'd be like Santa Claus, you know, and we'd love him because he gives us gifts. But God removes gifts sometimes so that we'll learn to love him in spite of the fact that he doesn't always give us gifts. That's how love grows in maturity. And that's what this is about. Loving the one you're with is about growing in love. And one of the things that I didn't say, I think, last time about grieving your losses, please grieve the loss of your expectation about life being perfect. And grieve the loss about your expectation about your spouse being perfect and your children being perfect and your parents being perfect and politics being perfect and the world being perfect. Because I got news for you, it's not. You know, we're told uh, in Peter, it says, why are you upset with all of these trials? Don't you know? And in James, it says, count it as all joy when you fall into trials and tribulations. Because the testing of your faith brings patience, and patience brings endurance, and endurance brings you into perfection where you lack nothing. All right, that's the process. I don't like it. I don't like how it feels. I'm sure you don't like it either, but that's the way that it works. We're in life. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, deny your very self, and follow me. Lay down your life. If you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. You know what losing your life is? It's death. Death is the hardest thing that we ever have to go through. Do you think that we just die once? Well, I guess in our bodies, yes. But we die every day when someone says a hurtful word to us. We die every day when we're counting on someone to be there and they're not there. We die every day when a friend betrays us. Those are all little deaths that prepare us for the final death so that we can do what Jesus did, and that is hand our spirit over to God in spite of the fact that we haven't felt him. Um, I'd like, Wes, if you could bring up that uh, first slide on uh, addiction. I've used this in each of the two previous sermons. And over here where you see stress, there's a lot of things that could be there. Expectations. I just told you about that, right? If, if it's what you expect and don't receive that makes you frustrated. So if you're expecting life to be easy, marriage to be easy, making money to be easy, you know, anything along that line, you are going to be frustrated and disappointed, guaranteed. The, the higher your expectation the more your frustration when you don't get what you expect. Uh, fear of rejection, lack of sleep, school, anger, relationships, fear of failure. I mean, we could put self-hatred in there, which is the first message. We could put ungrieved loss in there, which is the second message. And we could put not being able to love the one that we're with in there. Any of those three and a lot of others that aren't listed or that I haven't talked about could be the stressor. Now, the stressor means that we're under stress, all right? 
we react out of that stress and we act out of that in a particular way. So let's say you're, you're young and uh, you tell your friends that you're anxious and you're, you're at a, a party with young people and you say, oh, I'm really nervous, I don't know anybody here. And somebody comes up to you and says, well, here, just, just uh, drink this uh, shot of whiskey here and ch- chase it with this beer and you'll feel better. And uh, unfortunately, most of the people that are young will at some point try that. And you know what they say afterwards? Hey, that worked. I feel better. I'm relaxed. I don't, I don't have that anxiety anymore. Well, after a while, usually the next morning, if you've drank too much, you're going to feel guilt and remorse and probably nauseous. Um, and then you'll go to shame and depression. You'll say, I'm not going to do that again. That felt lousy. I'm not going to do that again. So you recommit. And then you perform. I, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. Or whatever it is that you do. And until your performance, as it inevitably will, runs out. Because how much can we do? Apart from God, we can do nothing, the scripture says. So if we drive on our own effort, you know, we're in trouble. I mean, this is just a learning of driving on your own effort. You know, you just, you can't do it. So what happens then in the addiction cycle is after you failed at performing to correct the acting out response that you did, your stress is higher because now you have failure in it. You say, I tried to avoid this sin, this addiction, And I failed. So now, in addition to the stress that you had, you have more stress. So what happens? You go to the acting out phase. And maybe you act out in the same way, and that becomes your addiction. Maybe you act out in a different way. Maybe you say, hey, listen, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be an alcoholic, and I don't want to uh, do anything wrong. uh, but, But I really need to do something about this stress. So I'm just going to work real hard. I mean, my family needs the money anyway. Uh, We're in debt, and I'm just going to work and work and work and work and work and work and work. And I talked to a friend of mine uh, yesterday for a long time. Probably the most intelligent, ambitious, uh, accomplishing person I know. Uh, He was my immediate supervisor at General Electric when I uh, was a designer there. Uh, He has uh, an engineering degree. He has a master's in engineering degree. And if you know anything about engineering, to get a master's degree in engineering is not an easy curriculum. Uh, And then he went on to be an attorney. And he is now a partner in a patent attorney law firm and doing very well. He's built a house. Uh, They have bought a a uh, cottage in Vermont that they go skiing to and rent out. Um, you know, they're thinking about uh, other expansions and everything else. Well, he had a cyst on his back, and they went to remove it. And long story short, it got infected. It turned to meningitis. He almost died. Um, he is still on antibiotics. He's been on it for almost a year, is it? He'll, he'll probably be on it for six months more at least. 
Uh, they have to go in and drain and break up these lesions on this like grapefruit-sized mass on the back of his uh, spine because his spinal fluid is leaking out of it. He can he can only he couldn't walk. He had to be carried to the places. He can walk with a walker a little bit. Um, it's going to probably take him a couple of years to recover. Now, that's an example, A, of our real strength. You know, we don't really have a lot. All that has to happen is we have a little cyst that's going to get removed. My um, uh, uncle, one of my uncles, died from a case of infected acne at 15 years old. You know, probably went to meningitis. That's what I suspect. Um, but it doesn't take much, so life is fragile. Um, and he's had to learn to love himself in spite of his productivity because his productivity is down. He used to work 70 hours a week. He now recognizes that working 70 hours a week might not have been a good idea. That's an applauded addiction, you know? America says, how do you do that? I don't know how you do that. I said that to him yesterday. I said, I don't know how you did that. I said, I'm, I feel pretty ambitious. I've done a lot of different things, changed careers a few times, and, you know, uh, built a business, et cetera, et cetera, made some tapes, writing a book, et cetera. And I, I says, but your activity level, like, doubles or triples mine. I, I said, I don't know how you do it. And he said to me, he says, well, you know what? As I've been laying here, I've been rethinking that, and I've been rethinking uh, whether or not I want to return to a 70-hour-a-week work addiction. His wife freely admitted to us a couple of years ago that he's uh, a workaholic. So we might not recognize that as a sin, right? There's applauded addictions. There's people that are in church seven days a week. I call them churchaholics. And they're doing good work or they're going to... And, and I'm not trying to discourage you from doing anything especially because Dennis is present. He'll get, get on me afterwards. But, uh, but I want you to know that if you're doing anything to excess to the point where you're suffering or your family is suffering or you're out of balance, then you're out of balance. And you've got to reacquaint yourself with yourself and with the self that God created you, not the one you developed into as a result of falling into these traps. Now, loving the one you're with um, is is very hard because we run into people that are not lovable. And Jesus told us, love your enemies, right? And he said, anybody can love somebody that loves you back. But when you try to love your enemies, really? Can you really do that? Can you really pray for your enemies? Can you really look them in the eye and, and say, you know, I wish you well and I pray that you're blessed? That's hard. That's really hard. But that is what the gospel is and asks us to do. If we're really following Jesus, isn't that what Jesus did? And he didn't condemn. He didn't put them down. He met them where they were at. He forgave them. He healed them. They lo he loved them. He didn't judge them. Judgment is a sin. Judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, could we go to the slide with the scriptures on it? So this is some things about, you know, love and learning to love. 
my dear children, let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living God's reality. Uh, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. There it is, living truly, living in God's reality. How do you get there? By not just talking about love, but by practicing real love. This is not milk. This is solid food here. Uh, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love has been brought to full expression through us. So, us abiding in God, another translation would say, abiding in love is abiding in God. And I think that it says, uh, yeah, on the second one from the bottom, God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And we're told that perfect love on the bottom expels fear. Well, my thing has been worry and anxiety. That's my thing. I'm actually on Cymbalta to help me with that right now. I've been on it for about a year. I plan to be on it maybe another year. Um, My final son just graduated, moved out of the house, uh, graduated from moving out of the house. And it's a, it's a tough transition for all of us, but it's the right thing. I'm really proud of him. Uh, and so we're now officially empty nesters. And, uh, you know, I think that as the stress of life calms down, I'll be able to not use that any longer. But I've needed that antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication in order to deal with it. Well, this is what we need. We might need medication for a time, but this is what we need in order to be able to be free from it all the time, okay? We need love to become perfected in us because perfect love drives out fear. Well, God's love is perfect, so all we have to do is receive it, and then it drives out fear. But how do we receive it? God, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that. How do you receive it down here? It says, hide the word in your heart so that you may not sin against it. It's got to go from here here. This is the most important, hardest 18-inch journey you will ever make. We, we, we live here. We are a cerebral society. Intellectualization is one of our main defense mechanisms. Everybody's in the know with regard to the internet, right? We've got information at our hand. And we don't have to go to the computer. We can just go to our smartphone unless you're like me and have a dumb phone. Um, but that's, that's what drives out uh, fear is that perfect love. Um, this last one here. I didn't list the whole one because I didn't want to discourage you. You know, the love endures long and is patient, kind, you know, all of that. Well, that's just too much to endure. Uh, just Let's just take love as patient. I think, this is just what God has been talking to me about. I think that if we get patient, we get the whole thing. I think that if we're really patient we will learn to practice real love and we will abide in love because we're told that love is 
patient, right? But how many of us struggle with patience? How do you do in traffic? At the wrong line in the bank? How about the supermarket? The guy that cuts you off when you're driving the speed limit. The guy who's yelling at you for whatever. The person that's walking slow and there's no room to get by. How do you deal with those? It's usually frustration for me. I'm expecting to get by and, you, you know, I can't get by. So I got I to gotta wait. I got to wait. This is not easy. I got to wait. That's frustrating. Well, that's how you practice love because you practice patience. You could just go into that and say, okay, I just got to endure this. Why do I always pick the wrong line at the bank? Or you could say, well, it doesn't appear to be good, but Dave said, if I choose this as an exercise in patience, then maybe I'll be practicing real love, right? And here's another way to think about patience. Patience, and this is probably even more important than that, patience, if you're really patient, you will delay judgment of another person. And judgment is bondage. I mean, when we're resentful, uh, we're in bondage. And judgment is different than discernment. Discernment is seeing the truth. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Judgment is seeing the truth and then hating what you see or putting it down. Or I'm glad I'm not like that person. So patience is delaying judgment, which means you don't have to get into the mode of forgiveness. And forgiveness is how you get free, and that was the first part. So if you're patient, you delay judgment. Um, Well, I renounce whatever that is in the name of Jesus. (laughs) If you delay judgment, you're delaying uh, being in sin through resentment. And then you don't have to forgive. Then you're practicing real love then real and perfect love can drive out your fear. And then you can learn to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're patient, someone said patience is the greatest of all virtues, and I believe that it is. And it's the hardest one to attain. It's a lifetime of practicing it. We have to practice it. It has to be a a discipline. If you go away from this sermon and you say, well, that was a nice thought, and I should do that, and you don't do anything else other than that, you probably won't get much out of it. But if you go away from this sermon and you say, patience is essential, and I should look for opportunities when I can choose that, as an exercise so as to become more loving. Now, I'm not asking you to pray for patience because that's dangerous (laughs) because God will give you plenty of opportunities to practice it if you ask for it. He, he, whatever you ask for in his name, he will answer. So you got to be ready to pray that prayer. All I'm saying is 
Life is going to stress you whether you pray for patience or not. And you're going to get examples of uh, being tested in your patience whether you ask for it or not. What I'm saying to you is turn it from another one of these slow drivers to thank you, God, for the opportunity to practice patience, to grow in love, to drive out fear, to live freely and lightly the way that your word tells me I should be living. It says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Dennis, some months ago, he said, if we're not living freely and lightly, then we're not living the way we're supposed to be living. And I don't know about you, but I've spent most of my life not living freely and lightly. I've lived burdened and anxious and depressed and frustrated and angry and hurt and lonely, even as a Christian. This doesn't automatically change as a Christian, you know. Talks about milk and then eating solid food. The uh, baby doesn't like that change. Um, What was it? Who's the guy in Hartford uh, that's the writer? They have Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain says the the only uh, thing that likes change is a a wet baby. (laughs) We don't like change. You know, and the older we get, the harder it is to change. But this is this is what God is asking us to do, I believe. He's asking us to go from milk to solid food. And if you are a parent or have ever watched, there's resistance every time you go a long way, right? You you wean off breastfeeding, they don't want the bottle. Then they become comfortable with the bottle. You take the bottle away, they want the bottle back. They don't want that slop. They spit it out. And then after that, you give them something harder. They don't like that. They like the easy food to eat. And it's all the way through life. We don't like change. But we have to change if we're going to grow. And if we don't grow in love, we're not going to be able to become perfect in love. And if we're not going to become perfect in love, then we're going to still sit with this fear, this guilt, this shame, this dread, this stuff that takes away love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't want to live like that anymore. So please remember that um, patience is vitally important if you really want to love the one you're with. And patience with yourself is one of the most important because what yourself is one of the hardest ones to forgive. You know, keep a, keep a short list with God. You commit a sin, go boldly, quickly, run to the throne of grace. Get his grace and mercy in time of need. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Go right away. While you're sinning, pray the prayer. Don't even wait until you're done. Keep a short account with God, and then you're all right. Then you're in his grace. And then practice patience when he gives you the opportunity to do it, and you'll grow in love. I'd like to just show a cute little video. This is innocence of children about love is patient and it tells you the rest of it as well and then afterwards we'll pray